Hello, you are listening to the Plumfield Moms, and this is Plumfield in Person. Hi, I'm Diane Pendergraft, and I'm here with Sarah Masaryk, and uh, you're not going to believe this, but we are here with Tanya Arnold and Sarah Kim from BiblioGuides. Friends, it's so wonderful to welcome you back to this monthly episode of Our Reading Life, which is a series that tries to capture some unscripted, lively conversation between four reading friends who uh, come together once a month just to talk about whatever it is they're reading. Might be something for a book club, might be something for school, might be something just for personal enjoyment. And so here we go. Sarah and Tanya, welcome back. Thanks for joining us. Thank you. I'm excited to be here because you, you're excited about your book, right? Well, I have I have an idea that I have this thought that no. sort of I know <laughs> I have an idea, a thought, and a rationalization. So the magnificent idea machine has a thought, got it, and an idea. Is it scathingly brilliant? It is. I should share it, and then you can decide for yourself if it's scathingly brilliant. You're not confident, it's a thought. You're not confident in that? And a rationalization. Yes. <laughs> All right. Lay it on Tanya us. Tanya always had rationalization and an argument for why her idea or thought is a good one. This is like with Tanya. I have yes. an idea, and I can tell you exactly why you're going to love it. So just prepare yourself. You're going to love it. Yes? <laughs> yes, exactly. <laughs> one, two, three, go. <laughs> Okay, so I know that this is called Our Reading Life. Mm-hmm. So follow me Are along the train Are you changing our name? <laughs> no. It's okay. Just go with me here. <laughs> okay. okay, so I had another really rough month, mm. and reading was just hard to get to and hard to concentrate on this, this month. And so I was thinking about story and storytelling and Okay, follow me. This is going to be a really great train. (laughs) Okay, so I was just thinking about the history of stories and how much stories impact people. And from days of old, there was oral storytelling. Eventually, there was written stories. Then there's Shakespeare. There was acted out stories. You know, as we continue through technology, we started having other ways that we could tell stories. So we would have movies and television and radio theater, uh, live theater. Uh, We also had opera is a great storytelling Mm -hmm. and ballet is a great storytelling. And I just needed a really good story this month, but I couldn't read it. So I was considering what I could have. And Sarah Mazarek, I'm going to clarify which Sarah (laughs) it was because this is important, sent me this text message that said, (laughs) you must mm-hmm. watch season three of Picard. Mm-hmm. Send the text. Must, must, period. Must, period. Must, period. Next message. If you do not, <laughs> you are a fraud and a rogue. Yes, I did. So I was like, oh, no. well, I, I, I don't want to be either of those things. And so I will watch season three of Picard. Now, I'm a Star Trek lover, so it's not a hard sell. I mean, I was going to say context here, Tanya. (laughs) You did say on how many episodes that you would marry, you would have married Jean-Luc Picard. So what what kind of fraud doesn't watch? (laughs) I know. I know. So I think that the first season was trash trash, and I did not not watch it. Fair. 
So I watched season three and I loved all of the storytelling. And it just made me think how often sometimes we want to put reading on on this higher level as if it is a better form of storytelling. I think what's happened with technology is that reading has gone to the bottom of the stack for most people and everything else has been elevated in the storytelling. Because even even when children or adults like to game, Mm -hmm. a lot of the games are storytelling. There's so much that's storytelling and there's still so much power in that, especially the different types that connect. Um, Like going to an opera or a ballet, if you go with someone, then you're you're experiencing that story together in a really visceral way. Anyway, so I just thoroughly enjoyed it and thought, I am going to count that as some really great storytelling that I received this month. And so it led me to the next thing, which was I received in the mail a copy of The 101 Dalmatians this week. And I thought, oh, I loved that show as a kid. And I, I remember thinking, there are a lot of Disney movies that I really enjoyed mm-hmm. that I haven't actually read the books for, right. except for Mary Poppins, which I hated. But I Agreed. haven't read Pinocchio. I've, but I've Disney. You kind of say right? like, why? Okay, I'm not even going to read the source material because if I love the movie, I'm going to hate the book. Um, or if I love the book, I'm going to hate the movie. So I tend not to do that crossover. Like today in our in one of our conversations with the librarians, where Lara Yevarino is saying that she's terrified of reading the Leatherstocking Tales because it might screw up her Daniel Day Lewis Last of the Mohicans. Like, yeah, guilty. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yes. And so, so I started thinking about the Disney cartoons, specifically Pinocchio, Alice in Wonderland. Mary Poppins. There's quite a few, 101 Dalmatians. So, but I read 101 Dalmatians because again, that's a kid's book. And I was in a space where I thought, oh, I'm just going to sit and read this. And you guys, (laughs) it is excellent. Why is it not? I talk about about it all the time. I think. (laughs) Well, I've only heard you talk about it once. (laughs) Well, you weren't in my class where I read it. It's so good. It could be one of the best family read-alouds because it has, yes, I think my teenagers, I could have read this to my teenagers and a four-year-old. And even my husband, I read out loud pieces of it as I always do. The whole thing is fun Mm. and funny and witty and it paces well and it's not too dark. And I remember being really anxious and depressed during the movie. So I've never reached for the book. You don't feel that way? Are really? you too? Yeah. Well, I like Are you talking the about the cartoon or the newer one with people? Oh, no, no. I mean the, I oh, mean the cartoon. Oh, the cartoon. Yeah. Like from being eight years old and watching it okay. on the so Disney Channel. <laughs> you, Shania, you obviously haven't read my book review, which includes. No, but I saw which you have one. a scathing <laughs> review of the cartoon. <laughs> Yes, exactly. Exactly. Well, because I remember liking the cartoon, but I and I can see the changes that they made. And I kind of feel like some of that was necessary for the storytelling. The combination of the characters, I think, would be really complex to keep that clean in Mm -hmm. an animated version. But again, I haven't watched it in years and years and years. So I don't like. I don't know. And I remember. I don't like the the, the stupidity of the bumbling idiots who serve Cruella like I just you know the burglars they were just dumb and I I, I hate how Sarah that's how they're supposed to be well maybe I just don't like the Disney version of that then or am I not gonna maybe, like the book they're kind of in the 
You're going to love them. They're hardly characters. They're just there. Oh, see, I think it's the slapstick that I don't like the slapstick style that Disney put into some of their mm-hmm. cartoons. You see a little bit of that in Lady and the Tramp as well. And I, I was just like, ooh. And then I don't know. I was I was so traumatized by the lightning scene and they're running away <laughs> as a child. And I just felt, oh, my goodness, there's so many puppies and they're not all going to get rescued. And what am I going to do? <laughs> so I just watched it once, cried and never wanted to see it again. <laughs> <laughs> well, and I think that's probably the visualization of it, right? right? Because that's still happening in the story. It's different. There's still, but it's just different in the way that the language is used. So that when I first started reading it, I thought it feels, I don't know how else to word it, but it felt just a little bit choppy, mm. the the sentence structure, sure. like for a minute. And then I got into it and then it just flowed mm. and it just paced. And I think one of the difficulties that I think I hear moms have with older books mm-hmm. is that the pacing is slower mm-hmm. than a modern story. And I think there's modern stories that are really slow too, actually. So I'm not going to only put that on, on old ones, older yeah. on older ones. Um, like sometimes like you feel like you're getting lost in descriptions of things that take forever and you're starting to lose your child or yeah. or you feel like you're not getting on with the, the point of the story sometimes. Sure. And I think it's good for a child to learn to appreciate like a different type of storytelling. But this one, it doesn't pace fast or slow. It just clips along. Nice. It just, it's like dog pace. Yeah. <laughs> it's, <Yay>. like, <laughs> it's just, it's moving along and you, and you don't want to put it down. I didn't want to put it down. Oh. It was just, <laughs> I'm so excited it was just for you. so good. And I thought this needs to show up on all the lists. And I was telling Sarah Kim, yeah, we need to be putting this on like our top 10 family like you could read this to the whole family, read aloud, and it's enjoyable as an adult to read. Mm-hmm. Um, it was enjoyable for me. I enjoyed it purely for me and not because it's a kid's story. Yeah. It was just funny. And I laughed out loud multiple times with the humor. Um, but also I think every age can enjoy it without – I have a sensitive child. And I don't think – Cruella is kind of only shows up sort of here and there. And there's one scary scene where she shows up and she's – worried they're going to get caught. And she's like, you've got to kill them tonight. And I don't care how you do right, it. Right. And she's like, drown them. Right. Smother them. Right. I don't know. And it's kind of like, oh, that's kind of intense. That's about a page and a half. Ah. And then after that, it is just... In the movie, that felt really the dogs out. kind of doing their thing. That just felt really, yeah. really emotionally yeah, I intense. Checked and um, Kwanu was very sensitive at that age as well. But it, I read it to him when he was five. Oh, Wow. And he, he loved it. Too. Loved it. Oh, yeah. <laughs> so I'm the only one who hasn't read it. Got it. I will read it next month, and I will come back and tell you all how much I like it. How much better I like it than the yes. movie. <laughs> well, I think one thing they did to the movie was they took the book has all these different phases of the journey that Pongo and Mrs. go through, and they meet all these really endearing characters in in animals and some people that help them too. Mm-hmm. And in the movie, it's like they tried to squeeze all that down into, it's just a chase scene, a really long chase scene with, they even made Cruella kind of ridiculous. And maybe that was to keep kids from being scared, but they had, they have this, this typical cartoon bad guy, you know, I'm, she'll be master of the world with the two bumbling idiots as their sidekicks. And you're going, why don't you get some intelligent ones? But um, (laughs) it's just this, this theme that goes through all the kids cartoons like pound puppies <laughs> yes <laughs> i remember my kids listening to that one that somebody had recorded for them and it's the same thing you got this 
crazy, evil, the the bad guy, the antagonist with the right. the idiot idiotic sidekicks, and you're thinking, why why don't you find some sidekicks that can do what you ask them to? But exactly. anyway, so they turn Cruella <laughs> and the Badden brothers into that sort that same sort of thing, and that in the book they're just barely characters. She's only there mm. to create the necessity to have the story. Anyway. Now see that would be very yeah. that would be very appealing. Yeah. That would be very different. But the but the Badden brothers aren't necessarily coming across as particularly Mm-mm. evil. Mm-mm. They don't want to kill the dogs. Mm. And she tells them to like knock them all over the head and they're like knock 97 dogs over the head right it's not because they like the dogs it's because they're lazy and they want to watch tv (laughs) yeah and and that's the thing what comes up is they're like but our favorite show's coming on so so maybe after that (laughs) and that's when the dogs make their escape so there was there were a lot of things that tied where i think the show kept some of the continuity of the book Mm. as far as the storyline but the book in itself i think is a gem it's brilliant mm. and it's a gem so here's my the thing that i felt a little aggravated about there is an audible of it and it seems like a very well done narration mm-hmm. martin martin jarvis, jarvis. yeah i mm-hmm. think yeah i listened to the sample and it sounds awesome there's not actually a great beautiful Mm-mm. reprint of it it is in print in paperback with new illustrations but if you want the original illustrations, that's very difficult to find anymore. And I don't understand because they now have 102 Dalmatians. They had the new Cruella de Vil movie. They're still making products right. based around this storyline without bringing back the original book with the original illustrations. So we have it on BiblioGuides. And I've listed a lot of the different reprints with the different illustrations so people can see. Folio put out a really beautiful edition. And the new oh. illustrations are beautiful. Mm. It's $80, of course, because it's folio, but they're full color and they're gorgeous with spreads, but they're still not the original illustrations. And there's something timeless Mm -hmm. about the original illustrations. So that kind of makes me sad. I hope some president of marketing, whichever publisher owns the rights, will somehow hear our plea (laughs) and put out a re... like. What would what do we want? We would love them to put out an anniversary, a restored a, mm-hmm, rest- replica, right. first edition, edition replica. Right. So, friends, if yes. you care, <laughs> take to Twitter. <laughs> yes, I'll just take to Twitter. Maybe they just you know if you've seen the covers of some of the uh, more recent paperbacks and and. I haven't. I didn't watch the movie with the people in it, but I think that a lot of times it's just they don't think kids can appreciate this anymore. If you if you have a book that's that yeah. long and and a little bit more detailed, and it's not just this constant frenetic chase scene, that they'll lose them and nobody will want to read it. What the, the kids don't have to. I want to. I right. I love that book. That was mm-hmm. my comfort yeah. book when I was in grade school, and spent a lot of time at home by myself home from school with a cold and I just remember sitting on the couch with my Kleenex box and my 101 Dalmatians and I don't know how many times I read it over and over and over. (laughs) Well, I think you are blessed to have read it as a child. I wish I had known Mm -hmm. about it as a child and had had. Well, we can trade because I didn't get to read Narnia until I was an adult. (laughs) Okay. Okay. (laughs) But isn't that exciting that no matter how old we are, there are still children's books that we have not yet discovered that will make such mm-hmm. an in, leave such an indelible mark on ourselves and all those we can share them with. 
We will never run out of books, girls. Never. It's so exciting. (laughs) But that's also a good proof of how good it is, is that Tanya did like it. So it's not just a kid's book. It's an excellent story. Mm. Right. Mm -hmm. Right. Yes. So I just want to share. So my rationalization for our reading life... is also that story can come in lots of different formats. And so if a few of us periodically have to say, I just had to binge an entire season of something, like that's okay too. (laughs) Well, especially when the story, so that's what I wanted to say is, especially when the storytelling is as excellent as it is in some of the productions that we are want to love. So I think about... (laughs) Like Rise to Candleford, which is better than the book. Um, it would have I think to about, be. Right. <laughs> well, the right. The, the series is brilliant and lovely. Uh, it's I, I, Everybody I know who watches it says it's, it's their comfort thing. It's the thing you do when you're sick because there's a lot of it. And you can just put it in and, and you don't have to make any decisions. And you can just be comforted. But what I think about with Star Trek is that Gene Roddenberry and all the creatives there are extremely well read. And so one of the things that you see, a hallmark of Star Trek, even all the way back to TOS, which I suffered through for the last few months, is that they're quoting Shakespeare regularly. And Tanya, like, right? Picard's last line? It's Shakespeare from Julius Caesar. And it's perfect. And that was ad-libbed. That's the best part. Anyway, um, what I love, uh, what I love about Star Trek or other shows that are so focused on the storytelling they usually have strong roots in classical literature. And so mm-hmm. I think binging on a really well-told story in any capacity is still a really good use of your your mind and your heart. Yay for Picard well, season three. my story and I'm sticking to it. <laughs> yes. And allowing yourself to be inspired by productions that were based on books. Right. And so I think that's fun to say, oh, you know, I remember that. Why was why was that worthy of being made into a movie or into a cartoon and going to the original source if you haven't? I know a lot of families say, well, let's read the book first, then we'll watch the movie. And I think that's lovely. Yeah. But in a lot of situations, we've already seen the movies and that's just how things went down. And so sometimes it's fun to work backwards and it say, is, yeah. how, how did we get there? Why was that one chosen? And I can see why this 101 Dalmatians was chosen because it's... Marvelous. It's brilliant. And I just, I think that's such a hard, it's just hard to find something that you can read aloud that the whole family can enjoy. Right. Not just the littles or not just the teenagers. I know for us, we were almost feeling like we had two families Uh, to have such a widespread of kids. And how do we do things that fit this group and this group at the same time? And I just, so I think that that, that's why I think this is a gem. And then I realized Diane has loved it and Sarah Kim had already loved it. Everybody had loved it. So Sarah, you're last. So definitely listen and check back in. Otherwise, I'm a fraud and a rogue, right? (laughs) Yes. Oh, yes. And if you do not, you are a fraud and a rogue. Well, I don't want to be either of those things. No. Heaven forbid. <laughs> Positive peer pressure is great. I'm thinking this might be a really fun read aloud uh, along the ca- around the campfire when we go camping in June. But you probably want me to read it mm-hmm. sooner than that, knowing you. <laughs> no, I can be okay, patient. Good. <laughs> I would love Greta and Jack and Michael to have it too. It would be interesting. And I've been waiting for 50 yes. years for you to read it. So another couple of months isn't going to matter. Because <laughs> <laughs> for 50 years you've been waiting for me to read yeah, it. Yeah. 
<laughs> for somebody else to love it as much as I do. And that's not really a joke because I don't, there are a lot of times when I don't really talk about the things that I really love because I expect no one to agree with me. I'm just used to it. Yeah, but we've proven. Yep. Yeah, but we've proven that in this wow. little circle here, there's a whole lot of echo chamber going on. <laughs> Finally. Yeah, I agree with you a okay, thousand good, percent, thank you. Diane. <laughs> My life yeah. is complete now. <laughs> well, so Tanya had both a very literary <laughs> literary month and just a very story satisfying month. Thank you, Picard. Yes. <laughs> Sarah Kim, what about you? What are you reading this month? Yeah, so the first half of the month, I can't even remember. I don't know if I read anything. <laughs> the second half of the month, uh, we were in Florida visiting family, and Tanya told me about Picard, so I did watch the first episode. I found out my parents had already watched all except the last episode, but they graciously went back to episode one. <laughs> oh, <laughs> yay! <laughs> watching. Kwanu got to watch a couple more than me, but I was busy with Yuna, so I watched the first episode. Um, and I started uh, Paralandra, mm. which I'm very much enjoying. Mm. We can talk about that later. Yay! And uh, I didn't really have very many books with me. Really, I just had board books. <laughs> <laughs> So um, I found on my, I, first I looked around my parents' house. Do you have anything I can read? Nothing was grabbing my attention. So I looked on my phone to see if I had any Kindle books I'd forgotten that I'd purchased. And I found The Mind of the Maker by Dorothy Sayers. Yeah. So I, I didn't manage to finish it. I was hoping to finish it on the plane. And as Tanya knows, that got very delayed. And at oh. two in the morning, I just could not read. So um, I got about halfway through it. And um, I'm enjoying it. It's very interesting it's pretty dense mm -hmm. I think mm -hmm. I'm kind of liking her train of thought and there's some really great quotes in the beginning of the book I think um so I'm looking forward to finishing it um I know it's well beloved by many people um so I'm glad I got got that opportunity to, nice. to start it and yeah I've had that on my shelf for years I got it at a thrift store because I had, you know, I liked Dorothy Sayers and I liked what she had to say about education, but I never actually dove into it. So mm. I'll be very curious when you get finished with it. Do you think it's something we should do at some point? You know, is it, mm. is it that compelling or, you know, what, what would your takeaways from it be? Maybe we should do something with it because I have read it, but it's been 10 or 12 years ago. And so if you asked me anything about it, I probably couldn't really say much. But it was definitely a worthy yeah. read. Yeah, I guess just for anybody who's not familiar with it, Dorothy Sayers is comparing the human creator, the need to create with the Trinity. And so it's, yeah, it's fascinating. I do think that would be fascinating because she, you know, when she's writing that, she's writing that in the time period in which we see some of the most incredible creativity coming out of writers. And you see this is, you know, right before Tolkien is talking about the fact that he's, mm. you know, it's the myth of subcreation and that mm. understanding that everything we do is really just a mimicry of what God does. And when we understand that it's the spirit that flows through us and allows us to partake in the divine act of creation, I just think that that's a very fascinating concept. And I, I'd like to chew on that at some point. Yeah. And she does say, she thinks this comparison applies to all artists and all creators, but she specifically 
talks from her experience as a writer, which mm-hmm. is very interesting to me because I'm I'm not really that familiar with like the writing process from like, like something like her perspective. And so to see right. how she thinks about it is really interesting. Yeah, that would be fascinating. So does she talk about her writing process then? Like how she takes an idea and, and fleshes it out? Yeah, she she talks about like, um, yeah, she calls it like the idea um, and compares that to like God the Father and then like the actual energy or act of writing as like the embodiment of Jesus mm-hmm. and then the um, spirit of like kind of the the art coming back to you in a sense. Oh. So we might as a reader might think of it, oh, well, this is actually the book in my hand. But like as the author yourself, it's like this this finished creation, although it's not exactly finished, but like kind of coming back to you. And so it's it's an interesting concept. It's a way of thinking about another way of thinking about the Trinity because the Trinity is a hard concept concept Mm -hmm. I think for everybody to really wrap your brain around as a human and so we don't normally think of it don't think of the trinity as you know us as creators sort of mimicking it in some ways so yeah it's interesting wow that I mean that is just fascinating to think I mean I would have thought that okay idea being God the father and when you were describing what the writing is I would have thought she was going to say spirit, but it makes more sense, mm-hmm. right? That she means, well, this is the body, the word made flesh, right? Word made flesh mm-hmm. becomes the text. And the spirit is when another reads it and communes with it. It's the love that's expressed in the, the meeting of the text in its own terms. That's interesting. And you need the spirit in mm-hmm. order to do that. So now I'm really excited. <laughs> I think of all the theological principles or ideas, the Trinity is my favorite because I'm a Holy Spirit girl. You know, Mm -hmm. so many, so many people, I think particularly people who are raised in, in a Christian tradition that isn't Catholic, tend to be very Jesus centered. I love Jesus. Jesus loves me. This is a very personal relationship. My experience, and this is just my teeny tiny experience, so I'm not speaking for Catholics everywhere. I'm just speaking for, for my, my what has happened in my world. Jesus is the more remote concept, and the more real concept for us is the Father. I'm not exactly sure how or why that is, but maybe because we're taught the Our Father before anything else. And so the Father is the, is the part of the Trinity that so many people sort of... Um, relate to and connect with. And then Jesus is the means to which we understand and love the Father, the means to which we access the Father and heaven. But I'm a Holy Spirit girl. I I don't understand either of those persons in the same way that I relate to or understand the Spirit. I love the wildfire of the Spirit. And so I love talking about the Holy Spirit. (laughs) I love anything that talks about the Holy Spirit. <laughs> yeah, it does seem like there, depending on your tradition, one of the three tends to be focused on. More so, dominant, yeah. yeah. Sarah, because it's still really worthy to talk about, what are the board books? You know, you're traveling with Yuna. What board books did you take with you? Which ones were real winners for her? So one was 
uh, Margaret Weiss Brown's Big Red Barn. Mm-hmm. We really like that one with all the the farm animals. <laughs> and she has an ABC book. She likes identifying letters. I think because we have the alphabet on those mats on the floor. Yes. Kind of all lined up in a row. So mm-hmm. she'll like identify like she knows like the A and the B and the O. So we have an ABC book um, that she really likes. You can include it in the show notes. Yeah. And um, I was at a book sale while we were in Florida and I picked up Doggies by Sandra Boynton. Yes, that's one of my <laughs> favorites. I was going to yeah, say for us, it was, was Sandra Boynton board books were the yeah. best. <laughs> yeah. I think I also brought her uh, bedtime book. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. Oh, I love um, her bedtime book. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, <laughs> where they're on the boat. <laughs> yes, exactly, rocking yeah. to sleep. <laughs> yeah, um, I think those were the those were the ones I brought. Uh, doggies was perfect though because my parents have two small dogs, oh. and our dog passed away, and uh, when Yuna was just about six months, I think. Oh, um, so she had a really a lot of fun playing with my parents' two dogs. Oh, <laughs> <It's> very cute. <laughs> Oh, that's sweet. <laughs> Serendipitous, really. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so does Yuna sit for longer books yet, or is she still just in the board book phase? Yeah, she's still really just board books. And even with the board books, she wants to be the one to read them. So she'll give me a book to read, mm-hmm. and she'll grab one, and she'll kind of be looking at her own book while maybe I'll read the other one. And sometimes she'll pay attention to me, and sometimes she'll just be doing her own thing. Oh, fun. Um, yeah, she's very much... She's very independent and just wants to kind of do her her own thing. So <laughs> that's where we're at. <laughs> I did some voice work for a local charity, and they were talking about Catechesis of the Good Shepherd, which is a Maria Montessori-inspired Catholic preschool approach. And the tagline at the end of the voice work was that that the cry of children everywhere is let me learn to do it for myself. Oh, yes. And that's really, right? That is just, it's so Maria Montessori. It's so appropriate. And that's what you're saying is that she's mimicking Mm -hmm. you. She wants to do it in fellowship with you, but she wants to do it herself. Mm -hmm. That that beautiful independence that she's developing. I love it. (laughs) Yeah. I know I was like that as a child as well. I remember, I just, for whatever reason, distinctly remember being at a restaurant with my parents and like wanting to use I think it was the fork by myself like I'm going to do it myself <laughs> my parents can be like, super frustrated <laughs> probably because I was spilling all the food on the floor right. or something but I was like I'm gonna do it myself <laughs> you know it's just exactly the same way just let her do her thing <laughs> you're a good mom for letting her do her thing <laughs> Well, Diane, what about you? What are you reading right now? When I remembered that we were going to do this today, I kind of went, what am I reading? (laughs) I don't know. I'm going to have to go look. (laughs) Because it's just been that kind of a month. Mm -hmm. And I know that last time I was talking about a couple of them that I was really enjoying. And I ended up having to take those back to the library and then just put them on my list to get them. So that I didn't have to worry about how long it took. And then because I want to finish them, but I didn't do it. Right. So sometimes I go through that. And you don't renew them then? I could have, but I just knew I wasn't going to get to them. 
Mm, right, of course. So yeah. there's just comes times when I have to say, I just have to dump everything and start over again because I'm, I've overwhelmed myself with my pile. Well, I can understand. Yeah. That. So that's kind of where <laughs> I am right now. So what I, I, um, of course I'm reading Paralandra so that we don't, mm -hmm. so that I don't get behind. I've read it several <laughs> times, but if I want to talk about it, I have to go through it again. Plus I mm -hmm. like going through it again. Yeah. Um, Finishing up Silas Marner with my homeschool, um, high school class. We're, mm -hmm. We'll be done with it this week. And since I've read uh, three of George Eliot's, Adam Bede and Middlemarch, mm -hmm. uh, I put the, the mill on the floss on my Kindle. I usually have nice. one on my Kindle for um, reading myself to sleep that has nothing to do with anything that I have to do. I don't know how to do that. I wish I could. I have got to figure out how to do that. Like right now, the thing I'm reading at night, I'm like, I, I'm just doing this for me. Just doing this for me. And I'm like, nope, got to tell the world about this one. <laughs> well, it's probably going to sneak into other things, but I don't want to be, I feel like when I, when I take my Kindle to bed, I don't want to be working. Yeah. Right. No, I get it. I get it. Um, and then I got a couple of we're already planning for next year for the homeschool program mm -hmm. and the harder part is the high school class. And so I got, mm -hmm. I decided what I'm going to do is use Aristotle's poetics as, as a mm -hmm. basis for the literature and the writing part. Oh, good. You can tutor Michael. In sure. Yeah. <laughs> I just volunteered you. Sorry. He wants to do it and he yeah. only did a little bit this year. Yeah. And he wants to go and do more of it. So. Well, I got this really <laughs> cheap, Dover. Dover edition of just the poetics. I have the, um, what's the series? Do you have the great books? Yes. Great. <laughs> the great books of the Western <laughs> world with that. He has two volumes in that one. And that's what I read it out of the, the first time. But I thought if, it would be kind of nice to take this little tiny compact book to class with me and not have my students going, <laughs> Oh, are we doing all of that? <laughs> So I found one um, to go with it called Untying Aristotle's Poetics for Storytellers. And I just was, oh. I thought I would go through that a little bit of a at a time over the summer and see if there's anything I could get out of that for my class. Wow. So, That's exciting. Right. Yeah. So I'm always, I'm always um, at the end of a school year, done with it, but mm -hmm. really interested in planning for next year because that'll be fun. <laughs> 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 I I really love what you said at the beginning. I think we just need to highlight it or bring it into focus where you said you just took everything back to the library and gave yourself permission to start, start with a clean mm -hmm. slate again. So you had overwhelmed yourself with a lot of ideas, things you wanted to be reading and just said, oh, I, I can't manage it. It's elevating my stress and my obligations mm -hmm. that I feel. And I think many of us do that. We get really excited. We listen to a lot of different podcasts. We're in a lot of different Facebook groups. There's all these things. And then we want to see and read and do all the things. And then we have these big stacks and those big stacks become actually unmanageable yeah. or we're not actually getting to them in a way that's meaningful or we have to keep renewing them. And sometimes just saying, you know what, this book is not now. This book is not now. Just saying that's okay. You can come back to them. Right. You can add them to a list. Really, what is the priority now? And I was reading something from Adam Grant, and he was talking about the importance of not overscheduling yourself. It was a post yesterday or today, 
and allowing time to just rejuvenate and not always having something that you have to do all the time. And I think having something that you, if if those books are weighing on you and they're becoming a burden to you. Put them down. That's not, yes, it's Mm -mm. not fulfilling you and lifting you up. And so giving yourself permission to do these other things or focus on something that's more important. I've done that too. And I just got books from the library for biblio guides that I wanted to review and just having to say to myself, Oh, you overdid it. You can't have 40 books <laughs> That's out right. right now. That's right. <laughs> That's the but I'm allowed, 40. And just saying those can go back and you can get them back out again and it's totally fine. You need to have a better pace. So I love you saying that <laughs> from your experience and your wisdom because I think many of us women need to hear that. We don't have to be all things to all people every minute of the day all the time. When I'm afraid to walk past my desk because that stack is looking at me like that and I just stop and go, I declare my freedom from your tyranny because <laughs> I can go throw you back in the book drop. <laughs> Overboard. <laughs> You're making your books walk the plank. Oh, Sorry, no, because then they would be wet. I can't handle that. <laughs> yeah. Well, I think that we have this sense oh. that... To be well-read, you have to have read some magical list of the 300 most important classics of all time. Not true. To be well-read is to have a classic get through you. One classic get through you and allow that classic to live in you and then get maybe another classic or excellent book into you. One at a time as slow as that takes if you're reading stacks of books because you're trying to play catch up or because you feel like you have to and you're not getting anything out of them you're not reading them so this is not calling out anybody but rather it's okay to enjoy the book to savor it to take breaks from it to read something in between if it gets to a hard part or you're just not feeling well and you want to change it up, that is okay. Let Just read the book you need when you need it. Let it do its work and be good with that. This is not a contest. There is no checklist to get into some like I'm a reader club. <laughs> club is. Yes, I like to yes, read. Yes, there is. Mrs. Marshenfelder gave me a list when I graduated. <laughs> <laughs> and we were talking about her last in one of our last discussions my high school English teacher that really did a lot for me but one of the things she did that wasn't all that helpful was a list that she gave us probably when I was a senior but like 50 classics for the college bound student and I always right. knew I wasn't the college bound student so she was always talking mm. over the top of my head and not actually at me but I still have that list because I thought someday I'll get to all of them and I look at it now with the, what I know about some of the books that are on the list and go, no, right. I no. do not need that. And I never did. And so I'm right. never going to finish that list. <laughs> no, it's okay. <laughs> yeah. And it's okay to be inspired mm-hmm. by the things you're seeing around you and think, I would like to have that book be part of my repertoire. Yes. But it's also okay. Like I used to get almost frozen and then not read anything right. because I couldn't decide what I should spend my time on. And looking back, I recognize. So then you just didn't do anything because you couldn't choose the perfect book in the perfect moment. I did that for like in my 30s Mm. a little bit where I just wanted to make sure I was getting the best books and the right books. And and I finally realized just read the books that 
you feel inspired to read, you just you grab it off the shelf, and it's okay if it's a children's Amen. classic. Amen. Amen. Right. So yeah. it's okay if it's a children's book. It's okay if it's just something that you have heard about mm-hmm. one time. Uh, it was two years ago. Someone, I think I'd asked a question in a Facebook group and someone, I don't even know the person. I don't even remember who it was. said something about you should really read Dracula. Right. Mm-hmm. And I don't know what B I had in my bonnet about <laughs> it, but I thought I really should. And I thought, but I never wanted to read Dracula Frankenstein. or Frankenstein because <laughs> I don't like macabre what i right. pers- what i perceived right. they were going right. to be and dracula rocked my world i loved that, that was book frankenstein so for me much. i could not believe it is on my top 10 i yeah me it's too, essential with dracula. I, so now we have to swap you have to read frankenstein i have to read dracula yes we, we should do that. that but i love that it didn't have to be because i had it right. on a list or because right. it just it the when the fancy strikes, yes. you can also like Sarah looking on her Kindle and saying, Oh, I've had this one. And right now, that's what I need. Inspiration's hitting, and that's mm-hmm. where I'm going to go. Yeah, I love doing it that way. Well, I have these classics that I bought classics. I don't know if they're classics, but I bought these books by Louis Duvall, published by Ignatius Press, and they've been on my shelves for years. I painstakingly acquired them because I understood that they were sort of like robust faith classics worth reading but I didn't I just didn't get to them they're they're big they didn't have audible options and I'm in a season of life where if you really want me to read something it's probably got to be on audible otherwise I'm just not going to be able to get through it but if it's on audible I will I, I can get through a lot a lot and do it pretty well I think so I um I I finally said okay I'm just curious Every, you know, every year I would go and check and see, did these ever get recorded? Because it's Ignatius Press. I figured this was one that might, you know, like this is a big publishing house. Sure enough, The Spear by Louis Duvall was available on Audible. So I grabbed it. I thought, well, I'm going to try it. You know, we're going to read Ben-Hur uh, in, in maybe in about, well, in a few months-ish. We're going to read Ben-Hur. And I love Ben-Hur. And I usually read Ben-Hur every year during Lent or Easter or something like that. And it's Easter season, and I kind of feel like a biblical drama type thing. Oh, my goodness, I cannot put this book down. It is, if you're a fan of the television series The Chosen, because can we just talk about other storytelling that's super compelling, right? Okay, The Chosen, amazing. Season three, Mm -hmm. again, season three. Mm -hmm. So much. If you're a big fan of The Chosen, and maybe Ben-Hur is just, you know, 580 pages is just a little too intimidating for you and you just want to try to do 420 (laughs) because I think Louis Duvall is like over 400. Um, The Spear is amazing. It is about Cassius Longinus, the centurion who pierced the side of Christ. But I am three quarters the way through the book and Christ is not even on trial yet, but he's in the book, but he only speaks the words of scripture. So Christ himself never speaks outside of what he said in scripture. There's no fictionalizing him. But there is this whole story about Longinus and the Jews at the time and the Romans at the time and all of the things that were happening in the world. And I am understanding better than I did with Ben-Hur or The Chosen or other shows that I've seen or other books I've read. I am better understanding what was happening even between the Pharisees and the Sadducees why like the the rebels that were trying to bring about the messiah faster and how they were fighting amongst themselves 
And all of it feels like I've walked onto a 1960s Bible drama movie set. It, it, it feels like I'm in an MGM studio in my mind when I'm reading this book. It's fantastic. So that is what I'm reading this month. So, <laughs> the Spear. Is it like The Robe? Okay, so let's definitely, it is like The Robe, but way better. <laughs> I, like I know. The robe a I lot. know. I do too. The Robe is really great, right? So you read Ben Hur, then you read The Robe, but the second half of The Robe has some really weird theology. And it gets a little, it gets, it gets weird. <laughs> and even though I love the conversion story that you hear in The Robe, the theology is a deal breaker for me. So I have a really hard time recommending the robe because unless you're really secure in your understanding of how the early church uh, was and what you really believe, you could get into this sort of new agey stuff that happens towards the end mm. of the robe. And so far, I don't. Well, I read it when I was seventeen, so I don't. Think I was going to say I was in my that. early twenties, and I I think I just liked the story and the romance. Yeah, me too. <laughs> well, the conversion. It was so the conversion. Compelling. I yes. I it was very compelling. I didn't. I didn't take much more. This is in the same. This is in exactly the same order as that. So this one, it. I almost wonder if the writers of the chosen have consulted this text as one of the creative in one of the creative sources. So I love that in this story, you have this centurion. He begins as a high ranking member in the, like the Roman elite. His father has gambling debts and other things. And so he trades his life and makes himself a slave in order to pay his father's debts. And he is an excellent um, spear thrower. And he's in the circus. And he wins the favor of the people in the circus, which is incredibly difficult to do. And I won't spoil beyond that, but it starts with his very, very interesting journey from high status to slave status to centurion status. And now as a centurion, he's just on duty doing his thing. And he is in love with a woman who turns out to be Pontius Pilate's wife. Now, when he's in love with her, he's not she's not married to Pontius Pilate. But we always hear about Pontius Pilate's wife in scripture, right? She begs him not to do what he's about to do. What's her backstory? Well, there's a lot of fascinating backstory for her. And then there's this Jew, this fat old Jew, and this and his all of his entourage in a caravan traveling through abandoned infested territory. And they come into trouble and they're rescued by a centurion. And he his life begins to intersect with theirs. And there's just all these layers of these characters. And then you you're listening to it and you think, oh, that's gonna be that's gonna be that parable. That that's gonna be that story. And so in that way, it feels like the chosen where you've taken these these characters that you've just been following along, da-da-da-da-da. And she just married Pontius Politis? Who's Politis? Is that Pontius Pilate? Oh my goodness, it's Pontius Pilate. So it's just, I don't know, I'm going to keep saying the word fascinating, but it's gripping, it's exciting, and it's brilliant storytelling. And I thought, it's a huge book. This is going to be a hard tome to get into. Nope. I was gripped from the first chapter. So every night, I'm staying up too late 
<laughs> reading this book at the end of the morning. I'm supposed to get up and pray, and I'm like, I'll just, I'll just read a little bit more. <laughs> then I'll go pray. <laughs> so I'm not being very productive right now, but I'm, I'm getting some really good biblical storytelling into me. Can you say the title again, Sarah? The Spear. So like the spear that he will ultimately use to pierce the side of Christ. Which in Catholic tradition, Longinus is a saint because his conversion occurs as well. And it occurs in a major way. And so this is just an interesting story about this scoundrel. (laughs) who, You know, this spoiled rich boy who becomes a real person of character and conversion. Do you generally like biblical fiction? Yes. Me too. And I know a lot of people it's don't. Reminding but me of... I I yeah. really do. So I would say this is a great book if you like The Chosen, if you like Ben-Hur, this is in that category. If you don't mm-hmm. like those things, you're not going to like this book. It sounds similar to the children's books like Jotham's Journey and Tabitha's Travels. Yes. Those ones that you typically read like for Advent or Lent. Yes. Because they're all those books, all their stories intersect with each other. And um, and of course, with Christ's story. So yeah, yeah, those are really fun too. If you're looking for something similar for children. I love that. I love that. And and anybody who reads stories of the saints, Louis Duvall did write for the Vision book series. I think he wrote Helen and the True Cross. Well, Sarah, I read a children's book that was a conversion story too. I had read about a year ago, The Good and the Beautiful has a reprint of a story that's also biblical fiction that is really great for elementary age Mm. and middle school age about a boy who I think he gets captured or he gets sold as a slave and ends up coming from Rome. So he's Roman and he ends up coming to Israel during either right during Christ's life or after he's crucified. And it's a conversion story. It's called Slave Boy in Judea. So you learn a lot about the time period, but also about the early Christian faith and and his conversion Mm. story. And it was really powerful. Mm. I so another good one for kids for an older Uh, we need to maybe an older we need to to do this. We need to make a list of really beautiful books that could be read during Advent Lent or like these high liturgical seasons that are just would help draw you into kind of the spirit of this spirit of the gospel. Now I do have to put mm-hmm. in um, one caveat in my recommendation. The Jewish girl who is married to the old Jewish man, she's 15 and he's definitely an old man. And there is a lot of conversation. It's very delicately handled, but there's a lot of conversation about the fact that that's not right. And then there is an actual scene in which um, there is a scene of adultery that happens. It happens so gracefully. You're not exactly sure that it happened until later it's confessed that it happened. But there are some things like that. And so my caveat is this is not one that you would read or that you would just hand to a teenager. You would want to preview and then make the best judgment for your teenager. There's nothing tawdry here. There's nothing graphic. There's nothing that happens, quote unquote, unseen. But there are, in the same way that Diane and I have said, you know, with Ben-Hur, you have to be a little careful because there's just a little bit of sexuality in that one. This is the same way. There's just this essence of sexuality that comes through in some of the things. And in one of them, the scene with adultery, 
when her husband brings her into the synagogue to divorce her, it is the woman who's supposed to be stoned. And Jesus, the judge, is there. And then she goes and... Ooh, yeah, interesting. Yeah, right, right. And this yeah. is a character we've known now for chapters. So it's that kind of stuff. So anyway, this is one that you would need to use some discretion with. But it's not racy or anything like that. Which would also be true of The Chosen. Yes, for sure. Right. For sure. Because it's going to, it's not. No. Yeah. There's just that line where there are complex issues. And I love the same in The Chosen where they build you up getting to know a character. And then they reveal more about the character after you've fallen in love with the yes. character. Yes. Right. Like I just find myself like so mad. Right. So mad about uh, Judas. You're like, I'm really starting to like you and I can't like you. But Jesus likes you. Well, I love that they're doing right. That, actually, I love that they're sh- there. He was a disciple for a reason, Correct. and Jesus did love him. Correct. And so, I think to bring in that complexity mm-hmm. is fascinating. So it's fascinating when you see that happen in in stories, other stories too. It just it helps build empathy and compassion, and yeah. it it helps you to hold back judgment for a second yeah. because it's way more complex than we. It's just the power of good storytelling. <laughs> exactly. I have. Exactly. There are um, several of Taylor Caldwell's that I have liked. Have you Have you read any of those? Like Dear and Glorious Physician, which is about Luke. Um, I I can't remember now which other ones she has, but I really liked those a long, long time ago. I might not like them now, but she has one called I Judas, and it starts out. I've like, heard of that one from his point of view, and I've never gotten past like the first chapter because I'm going I. I'm not going to sit here and read this story about why I should feel sorry for him because he was totally misunderstood. No. (laughs) Mm -hmm. The Psalms say you're a bad guy. (laughs) The Chosen is really clear about the fact that we're not supposed to feel sorry for Judas. Judas' avarice is what has corrupted Judas, and he, he just doesn't get it. Like, he does not get it. It's offered to him. He sits with Christ. And he does not get it. And he doesn't even know that he's not getting it until it all goes down. Which, of course, we haven't seen that season yet. So we don't know how they're going to represent right. that. But but I'm not going to read a big, long the, book the, about him whining about how it wasn't, no, didn't quite come right. off the way he meant. <laughs> I don't know. Well, in the spear, in the spear, Judas is not a sympathetic character. So <laughs> he is in there, but he's not sympathetic. I definitely think that we will follow up. We will do something kind of special with these recommendations of um, biblical fiction or biblical stories around the Bible. And uh, stay tuned for that because I don't know when we'll do that, but we'll all recommend something that we know and love and maybe build on that as time goes on. As always, this is one of my most favorite hours of the whole month. So thank you for being here. This is always one of my favorite things to do. I love the book clubs, but this has a different flavor mm-hmm. and it just a different feel. And it's just, it's really a nice time. So thanks for coming, ladies. Ladies, you're just the best. And this is wonderful. And I can't wait to continue doing this next month. We, um, oh, I didn't say I'm not reading Paralandra right now because it's too short. 
said, I'm, I'm waiting to read it until right before it's due. <laughs> so uh, friends who are like, Tanya's doing the same thing because Tanya and I are moody readers and we need to read like right before we talk about it. I was afraid to save it. <laughs> so so friends we thank you so much for tuning in and listening to this episode please do tell us what you're reading this month and how we can encourage you and let us also encourage you to find a reading friend a reading buddy somebody you can read with it is so much more fun and so much easier to take care of your reading life when you have someone to do it with so find someone who just wants to try one book with you Try it on for size and see how it goes. And we do have a list of what we call first date books. If you're looking for books to try with someone, um, otherwise ask them to read one of the books we're reading for one of our podcasts and and commit to reading together and talking about it in your own way, whether it's on a, a walkie-talkie app or it's on Facebook or it's on the telephone or text or whatever it is that you do. And then, of course, Join us in the BiblioGuides online community. There's a Plumfield Reads little book club discussion group in there. We'd love to have you there. We'd love to talk about books. And hey, if you have a recommendation or two that we could consider for our list of stories around the Bible, go ahead. Put it over in either in our BiblioGuides online community or do us a favor do either go to BiblioGuides Facebook page or our Facebook page or our Instagram accounts and spam those walls with your book recommendations. It teaches the algorithm that we matter and that you want to see us. And it really helps a lot. And also you might find a reading buddy that way. Somebody else might agree with you and want to read it with you. So friends, thanks for joining us. Come and find us in the show notes so you can get links to all the goodness. Until next time, friends. 